Would you turn, please, to Matthew chapter 21? It says 22. Ignore that. Chapter 21. Just seeing for paying attention. So, as I mentioned this morning at the end of the service, I had um, in the in, in the grand plan that is mine, which is not very grand at all, um, had gone to this passage, the 21 passage, and uh, had looked at this in anticipation. Um, to deal with prayer, because next Sunday morning, um, John is going to write in First John um, really some, some incredible thoughts um, and direction on prayer. And so I was going to go there and uh, kind of dig in at that passage. And as I began the, the work on it, I got stuck right here. So we're going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to only talk about two verses well, and two other pastors. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, thank you for who you are, for the power of your word, for the great and mighty things that you show to us from your word. Lord, help us to let it do its work in us today. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you command our hearts, may we lay ourselves bare before you, may we not put up any walls of resistance, may we not try to hide things, but Lord, let your word do the work by the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you indeed love us and care for us enough to let your word do that work. So would you do that for us this evening? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Three passages where good enough isn't good enough. How's that for a title? Three passages where good enough isn't good enough. Matthew 21. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. This is Jesus. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. Okay, let's top the, well, let's keep on going just so you know where we context that. And then after this, um, seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered to them and said, truly I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, what will happen? And all these things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. That's next week, the last two verses. Sequent events. It uh, kind of puts you in the picture of what's going on. This is the, what we commonly call the Passion Week of Christ. This is his last week on earth before the cross. Uh, he has come into the city, the triumphant ent- entry. People are crying, Hosanna, glory to the king, and, and they've walked through. And what has happened is, is that as they come in and go back, uh, you'll see throughout the week, they will go and spend the day in the city, then they'll retire, many think, to Bethany, and they'll sleep there and walk back in. And this is such, such the occasion. They're coming back in the morning into the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem is bustling at this time. It is full of people. It's, it's that week, right before Passover. This is one of the, the three mandatory feasts that everyone should come. And so they're, they are, it, it's full to capacity. That's why people are staying outside the city and coming in. And so as he comes in, he's hungry. He, he's, it, you know, in that time, they maybe ate three meals, often just two. And so, as the commentators say, they didn't... So maybe he was walking in and he saw, for the purposes here, he was hungry, and so he wanted fruit. Fruit, and so he comes. 
He sees that fig tree and expects fruit because he sees leaves, but no figs. Now, interesting thing that I didn't know about figs, trees, and I do now, and I have pictures for you. This is in the, the early stages. You see, can't you? Yeah, oh, pixelated, not quite like I wanted it to be. Um, this is better. You see now, uh, later in the season, figs, and the leaves are going bigger. Um, but you see, even from the beginning, even from the beginning, you see leaves upon a tree as the figs begin. So it's not like you have leaves, and then a little bit later, then figs come out. But you have these figs. And so, when you saw leaves on a fig tree, you would expect leaves. You would expect figs. And so, as there, he's walking in, he sees a tree with leaves, a fig tree, expects there to be fruit, figs on that tree. He comes to that tree and was disappointed that there was not any figs on there. It had all the appearance of fruit, but no fruit. Okay, let's go see Mark's perspective. Mark's perspective is a little different. Now, Matthew, as he writes, he's uh, concerned with the big picture of what's happening. Mark is a little more chronological, and he'll lay it out. Matthew would kind of compress things that we see here. Let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 12. Mark chapter 11, verse 12. I hear those digital pages turning here. Verse 12, on the next day, when they had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he would find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, let's wait a second. It says, wasn't the season for figs. Well, this is where some people think that uh, it might not have been, in the word here used for season, it, it might not have been the, the right season that was ripe for figs. You can eat figs as soon as they are there. They don't taste very good. In fact, they're edible, and if you're really hungry, you can eat them. You want to wait till they get ripe. Not overly ripe, but just ripe. And so Mark here is writing, and you see that, and you think, wait a second, is this contradiction? No, we don't believe so, as far as we know or not, but we don't believe so... If, just from the language and the time. Now, one has posited that this was actually in the end of the season where there should be figs and leaves, and there's not that either. Anyway, he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. Now, Mark is chronological. They entered into Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, began to drive out those who were buying and selling the temple, and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not permit anyone to carry merchandise through the temple. And he began to teach and to say to them, it is, is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a robber's den. And the chief priests and the scribes heard this and began seeking how to destroy him, for they were afraid of him. For the whole crowd was astonished at his teaching. But when evening came, they would go out of the city. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots up. And, and being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And that's Mark's, uh, uh, his telling of the account. So we have the sequence again of morning. Jesus is hungry, he sees the fig tree, expects fruit because there are leaves, but only uh, the, there are no figs, and so he curses the tree. 
And then he goes into the temple. Now here's a, a picture of the um, near the western wall. And this is where some people think that these shops were located. Others think that as you ascended on the, the southern uh, steps, as you go into, uh, into doorways that are now bricked up from the Ottoman Empire, you would come up to the, to the top of the Temple Mount, and the, those who were selling were actually not in the Temple Square in the middle, but on the sides, they were up here uh, on the edges. We're not quite sure, but Jesus comes into the Temple area where there should not be money-changing hands and things going on, and he is quite upset. And he speaks in this passage of his father's house being a house of prayer. You can think of Jesus ascending these steps one by one, and there you can see some have been rebuilt, but the, the rugged, most rugged of them are original. These steps that he would have stepped upon going up into the temple. And so he sees people there buying and selling. If you traveled any distance and you were to bring a lamb for sacrifice, it was not as convenient to bring your own lamb. So conveniently, they provided one for you. So you bought one there, as in this time, right in the temple square, as it were. Or maybe you had money from a different country. You would exchange it for to give your temple tithe. And so you exchange it there. And, of course, I mean... Commerce being what commerce is, not always uh, were the exact fair um, transactions being taken place there. So you have two scenes, uh, two records of this account, one a little more filled out. One, you have the leaves on the tree, but no fruit. Then you have leaves on the tree, no fruit. And then you see Jesus go in and cleanse the temple and maybe in our context seem a little unreasonable how he is acting and how he is coming down on these who are just trying to make a living, as it were. And so you have this, this kind of um, almost a, a tension going on here as you see this. And so Jesus drives them out, merchandising, and then they come back the next morning to this road and see the tree and were amazed it was so quickly so quickly withered. A couple things to note here. When you saw leaves on a fig tree, you assumed there was fruit. When you go to the house of God, you assume there is something godly going on there that would be a place of worship. One final passage. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. Revelation 3.14. John again is writing. And as John writes, <clears throat> he recounts as God gives him the words in verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of God says this. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And because you say, I am rich, and I have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, 
blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline therefore be zealous and repent. Behold I stand at the door and knock If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. And he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here in Revelation, As we think about the picture, now we have a condition that looks like this. They thought everything was okay, but God was disgusted. Because I wish you were were hot by that we would understand that you are on fire or you are, are diligent to serve me. Or even cold but you're kind of not either. You're not so that you're cold that you will listen when I, when I judge. You're, you're just there. He uses the word lukewarm. And God says, I will spew you out of my mouth. You say, okay, Stacy, what does all this have to do with fig trees and leaves? As I was reading this and studying, because the foundation of where we're going to go is prayer, I noticed that the conditions of prayer as God reveals them throughout his word, the condition of prayer of my heart and your heart is one that is to be wholly seeking after God. We have three stories, three stories, two very similar, same account, uh, different tellings of it. One with lots of activity, lots of leaves, but no fruit. The third revelation, people are fancy and dressed up, but they're not godly. In Mark's accounting, he goes into the house of worship, the temple of God, and he goes there, desires to see what God has said my house would be a house of prayer. Instead, he sees commerce going on. He says anything, and probably most likely cheating in commerce going on, and he says this is not what God the Father desires. These are lessons to be learned before we come to prayer. We will get there. We will understand that what prayer in believing is, and, and next Sunday morning of the prayer and praying in God's will. But do you understand that the person who comes to God in prayer must be an individual who is seeking after God? Sometimes we don't see an answer to prayer because we're lukewarm, or because we look really good, but there's no fruit. See what the lesson of Matthew says, looking like you're fruitful doesn't make you fruitful. Have you ever been there? I look like I'm fruitful. I may look like everyone else, but I know the condition of my heart, and it's anything but fruitful. And the parlance of the tree, it is full of leaves. It's green. It looks like it's growing. However, 
there is no fruit. And the Bible doesn't distinguish here in this location what that fruit is. It could be, speaking in the whole context of the New Testament, the fruit of the Spirit. It could be also the fruit that comes, the fruits of, of, fruit of righteousness being worked out in the heart and life. It could be the fruit of bringing others into the kingdom of Christ. But just because I look fruitful doesn't mean I'm fruitful. That should make us stop, examine, and check. Mark teaches us here that busyness in the Christian life, were you in the temple on a high feast day with all of this going on, you'd like, don't stop or you get run over. There was throngs of people. There was all this commerce. You'd hear the bleeding of the lambs, and you would, you would hear that, and you would see them knowing they're getting ready to be sacrificed, and at some point you would see blood running. There was a lot of activity going on, but a lot of activity does not equate with godliness. You and I can be very busy as a Christian. We can do a lot of things. We can be working our fingers to the bone, but it doesn't equate to godliness in the heart and life. In fact, often we substitute busyness in the Christian life for godliness. Don't bother me, I'm working hard. Stacy, don't say anything to me about my walk with God because I'm really working hard. See, working in the Christian life after salvation is a result of the work of God going on in your heart and life bubbling up It is not to salve your conscience. It is not a substitute for being in God's Word, for reading His Holy Word as we sing about. It's not a substitute for coming to Him in prayer. Doing nice things as we've been doing, collecting pencils, as we've been giving to different things, that is not a substitute for spending time with God and saying, God, would you show me where I need to change? Would you show me where I need to grow and walk with you? Busyness does not equate to godliness. Lesson of Revelation. Just getting by leaves a bad taste in God's mouth, number one. Just getting by leaves a bad taste in God's mouth. And maybe it's because We live in a Western culture where persecution has not knocked on our door yet. Or maybe it's because it's so easy in a Christian culture here in the, what used to be the buckle of the Bible belt, to fit in with Christians and to nod and tip of the hats to church every Sunday. It's easy to just get by, to just say the words. To just go to the places. But it never really changed the heart. To never allow God's word to, to do the, the difficult and painful work that it should be doing. To show us who we are in light of God and his word. Just getting by leaves a bad taste in God's mouth. I wonder if we realize exactly how much 
displeasure God receives from seeing a child, his child, going their own way, doing their own thing, pretending to be godly when they're not. And I think also equating to our time in which we live, prosperity doesn't equal godliness. Did you... um, Let me find the thing... Um, Verse 17 of Revelation. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy. And you say, well, that's not me, Stacy. Well, according to the rest of the world, you would be considered rich. And I have need of nothing. Notice the self-deception there. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Prosperity doesn't equal godliness. It's easy to think, well, God's blessing me. I have a job. I have a house. I have an apartment. I have a dorm room. I have have a phone. Uh, It's easy to look at that and say, you know, I must be okay, or else God would really judge me, wouldn't he? He would really kind of come down on me, and I'd have none of these things. And we see from Revelation that it's easy to be deceived, to deceive ourselves, to think that we are okay. To point the finger at others and say, boy, but they're worse than I am. I mean, look, look at that. Look at Stacy. He's really bad. No. He's really bad. It's easy to point the fingers. Prosperity doesn't equal godliness. What God was working in my heart this week in this passage is that ever, before we ever come to prayer, before we ever come to the point of seeing our prayers answered, because that's going to be the focus, that that God does answer prayer, and God desires to answer prayer, and God desires the person to trust in answered prayer. Before we get there, we have to take an assessment of who we are before Christ. While there is condemnation for the follower of Christ who looks good on the outside and yet is poor on the inside, and there's caution for that one, there's also forgiveness, as 1 John tells us, for that one. For us, as we realize the self-deception that is in our hearts and lives, as we see ourselves as God sees us, Because we can, in our time, put false advertisement. The false advertisement says lots of leaves, lots of greenery, but no fruit. Before we come to prayer, we must come to the realization of the honest assessment of who who we are, how our hearts are before God. As we look at this, this is spoken to the follower of God. All of these things are, are kind of added either at the disciples there that, that Jesus is walking with or as, as in the book of Revelation to the church there of believers. This is all, this all focused there. And just as they lost the focus in the temple, we can as believers lose our focus on godliness. Take time with God. 
I would encourage you. We, I think of uh, September as the start, even though I'm not in school and we're no longer paying school bills. Yes. Um, first time in, I don't know, how many years? Um, as I think about that, as a, as a time of new beginning, because I think we do, no matter if we're in school or not, we think of September, ah, it's that kind of mid-year, even though it's not mid-year, kind of jump into it. How about habituating yourself in time with God's Word? In fact, I was teasing the other day, I'm going to, I'm going to preach a message at some point, I'm not sure when it is. The title is, it is It's Not Magic. It's not magic. Um, and what I mean by that is the Christian life doesn't magically happen. See, the Christian life is pretty simple. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy, but it's simple. It's, it's not complex. Uh, there, there's a hard road, and there is sometimes some diligence that, that comes and continues to come as we live our lives when, until we step foot in heaven. But it's not complex. Abide in me, I abide in you. Jesus says. Bear fruit, he says. We're admonished over and over in the Psalms to to hide the word of God in our hearts. To take it in, to grasp it, to meditate on it, and to, to make it become part of our being. And here it is. For prayer... It begins with your walking with God, my walking with God, a relationship. Because just being good enough is not good enough. Just being good enough is not good enough for the person who lives next to you, for the person you work with, for the um, friend or family member who needs Christ. They need to see us walking with God. I hope it encourages your heart this this evening. If you want to revolutionary, back up, if you want to revolutionize your life as a Christian, going back to the simple part, would you dedicate 30 minutes every morning in God's Word and prayer? Now you can expand that later as you have, as God works, but 30 minutes. That's 30 minutes extra. See, it's simple. It's simple. My wife was saying just the other day, the, the, what really, years ago, what really grasped her her heart, her walk with God was the first five books, you know. I would have thought it would have been like Philippians or, you know, some New Testament book. But the first five books of, of the Old Testament that spoke of God's faithfulness and how we respond to him. All God's word is profitable. 30 minutes. Are you up for it? Just being good isn't good enough. By God's help.
by God's help. Change your heart, change your life, change the lives around you. Let's pray. Gracious God, by your mercy, it's in our weakness, we, we want to reach out to some magic thing and ask you to fix it. But you desire of us to walk with you. And so, God, may we not be like the fig tree full of leaves but no fruit. May we not be like the, those in the church at Laodicea. We have everything that we need. We live very comfortably, but we don't realize that in truth, spiritually, we are naked and blind and wretched and poor. Lord, by your grace and by your mercy, when we take the simple steps of spending time with you, May we truly know you, and the only way to know you is to spend time with you. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would, and each one who takes this challenge, would you reveal yourself to them day by day. May they see you. May they receive encouragement from you. May they seek uh, correction from you. And may they see that you are the all in all for them. Thank you for who you are, for the power of your word. Thank you for your grace and your work in our hearts and lives. Thank you that we can be your children. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.